us open hearts and open ears to hear the word that you've given to Pastor Joe today. May your word be as quick and as powerful and as piercing as you promise us that it will be. So Father, we give you this time. We give you our hearts. We give you our attention. In the name of your son, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Just a a quick reminder, a little bit of commercial. Uh, Try not to leave too quick after the message and the offering time. We have some very uh, important uh, special kind of vision type announcements we want to share with you at the end. So just kind of try to stick around and we won't be over at all, if anything, but just try to make sure. $1,000, so we need good offerings. So, yeah, let's start passing the plate now. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but make sure you try to stick around. We have some exciting stuff we want to share with you. So uh, we're finishing up our series on 3 John today. By the way, my name is Joe Davis. I'm the pastor here. We're finishing up three books by John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. It's been fun preaching through these. I hope you've enjoyed it and learned a lot. They're, they're very applicable to today. Uh, today is the final one in this series, and it's entitled Undermining Authority. Now, let me just say as a bit of a disclaimer... This was a very hard sermon for me to write about the biblical standard for the relationship between church and church leadership, between leaders and those who are being led. And I was very concerned as I was writing this because I want you to hear me and I mean this. I was very concerned that it might come across as self-serving or complaining because I'm in leadership and I'm a pastor. I want you to know It most definitely is not the heart behind this message. Trust me. As a matter of fact, I would say to this point in our young history as a church, we've worked very well together between leaders and church members. But we do know because we're human and because we're flawed, both leaders and followers, that there will be a time one day when there is conflict between leadership and the led. Because frankly, a big hindrance to church health is this relationship between members and those God has put in place to lead it. And there are a lot of reasons for that conflict. So I'll start off by telling you a story. My first job out of seminary, my first job in a church. And I remember I was excited, motivated, ready to serve. I knew that it was going to be a great 40-year run with no problems. And within the first two months, I remember there was a parent on our student ministry, because I was a youth pastor, and I figured, what could go wrong in youth ministry? Nobody ever complains. And within the first two months, right, Pedro? Nobody. And within the first two months, I remember a parent coming to me and telling me how I needed to do my job. And I said, well, I don't agree with you. That's not the right way. He said, well, let me tell you something. I pay your salary. True story. He wasn't even an elder. He just wanted to put me in my place. Make sure that I knew that even though that I was a pastor, he'd been in the church for a long time. He knew the deal. He knew what was going on. He knew that I needed to listen to him because he had wisdom that I did not have. And frankly, there are many examples over my career of people that I came across that were convinced they knew best, and perhaps they did. 
Even though they had no real experience, they had no theological training, they weren't ordained and had no, had no credentials. But I was young. Didn't everyone love their pastors all the time? And frankly, sadly, let me just explain. I had to learn the skill of shepherding while looking over my shoulder. I'm just being honest. And so with that in mind, I want to read the passage that we have today from 3 John, verses 9 through 15. John says, I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself in charge or put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us and not content with just gossiping or not content with just that. He refuses to welcome the brothers, the ones who would travel and preach. Remember, he had just affirmed Gaius the week before we talked about this last week. He affirmed the fact that Gaius was somebody who was gracious and hospitable and do whatever he could to help people who were traveling and doing ministry. And not content with just gossip, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to help. And then he puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whatever does, whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius, on the contrary, has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much more to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon. And we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. So the historical part of this passage, I simply titled a self-righteous jerk. This is a seminary term. So before we get to that, understand Demetrius was the guy who probably delivered this letter. He's committed and faithful in contrast to Diotrephes, who we'll go through with in a minute. And he ends this letter with a promising address to take care of this thing with geographies in a face-to-face situation. But this is the part of today's story that's crucial. John, in leadership of the church, takes public action. We got a little feedback there, if we can knock that down. Um, he takes public action to confront Diotrephes. He declares publicly this guy, Diotrephes, this self-righteous jerk, is conducting evil. He's being destructive and damaging. And it is evidence of the fact that this guy, Diotrephes, according to John, is disconnected from God. So let me give you a little bit of idea. You know what the name Diotrephes means? It means reared by Zeus. For those of you who know, Zeus was a god. And so in reality, the only people that would have the nerve to name their son Diotrephes are people who are part of aristocracy, maybe had power or money or influence. So perhaps this was already a man who was used to getting his way. And in just two verses, John lays out exactly who this guy is. The first thing we see in verse 9, he's an egocentric fool. He took authority that wasn't his so he could fulfill his own personal agenda. Think about it. Here's a guy who's trying to usurp John. He never met Jesus. He wasn't appointed by God to cancel out John's authority. He's not an apostle. 
Yet somehow he convinced himself he should be preeminent over the elder John. How foolish of this guy. Talk about the ego. But of course, he's named Diotrephes. He was raised by Zeus. So who wouldn't want to listen to him, right? But not only that, in verse 9, he also calls him a slanderous deluder. He undermined the authority of John by spreading lies and gossip about him. Character assassination. But it didn't stop there. He was also publicly, vocally, loudly critical of the leaders like John and those he sent with letters and messages and those he sent to preach. He would talk smack about all of them. So he's an egocentric fool. He's a slanderous deluder. And he's an ungenerous cheapskate. It's, I know I'm, I'm dialing it down a notch, but I want you guys to get an understanding of how John probably felt. This guy, Diotrephes, reared by Zeus, refused to provide for those doing the ministry as appointed by the apostles. And just the way Jesus had instructed, when you go to a town, don't pack a bunch of stuff. Go and seek out the homes of those who are believers. They will take care of you. He decides not to do that because he's got some sort of beef with John. He's holding back his money as some type of contemptible, passive-aggressive protest. Oh, yeah, John? You're going to call me out on that stuff? I'm not giving any of my aristocratic money. And he willfully is showing open disrespect for the culture of hospitality that Jesus and the apostles had taught and put in place. He's an ungenerous cheapskate. But yet there's one more thing John calls him out for in verse 10. He's an obstacle to kingdom work. He used his indignation toward John, the elder, as vindication and justification for destructive, hurtful, selfish behavior. Guys, he went so far as to attack people like Gaius who were helping the travelers. And when he saw someone doing stuff that he decided not to do, he would go after them, attack them, and maybe make up slander about them and try to get them excommunicated, kicked out of the church. He was, in fact, Diotrephes, in the middle of full-blown, treacherous, sociopathic rebellion. Now you can understand why John felt like he needed to write this letter to Gaius. Gaius, don't listen to Diotrephes. You keep doing what it is you're known to do, taking care of those beautiful feet that we talked about in last week's sermon, if you haven't caught it, try to catch it on the YouTube channel or the podcast. It's important for the setup. You keep doing what you're doing. Don't pay attention to this scoundrel Diotrephes. I mean, the nerve of this guy, right? I mean, who does he think he is? We don't know what it was that caused Diotrephes to be so aggressive. We don't know what his beef was. Maybe he did all this out of fear because he might lose his position of authority or his position of influence in the community because of the church. Maybe he was upset because John called him out and took a stand against some sinful behavior that Diotrephes had been involved in. 
Whatever the beef was, we know this. This guy was convinced his actions and agenda were what was best for the church. He knew better than the apostle. He knew better than the pastors that the apostle had sent. And his agenda was necessary to be instituted at all costs, even if it meant taking down some good people. And whatever it was, he allowed his passions to make him a tool of evil to create discord and disruption. Other than that, he was a good guy. <laughs> Let's talk about the spiritual side. What about God? What's going on here? The scripture gives us some examples and insights of what it means to have a church that has both following and leading. Jesus has given us all the best example of how to follow leadership. Think about it. It's pretty amazing. Jesus, the son of God. Here's the verse in Philippians. Paul writes, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. If there was ever anybody who had the authority to usurp other people in charge, it was the son of God. Hello. Yet he submitted himself to the obedience of the father, even to the point of death. He abandoned his agenda for the sake of the sheep. He chose obedience to the Father, even to the cross. In one person, in Jesus, we see the example of both how to lead and follow. It is the aspiration for what we should want to be. So the first thing I want to talk about in this is humble. That should be, that's, that's the wrong, it should be the leadership side, so I'm going to skip forward. Oh, maybe I missed it. It's, del it's deleted. So just pretend like nothing has ever happened, and I'll give you the first point. The first point is humble leadership. Leadership must earn followership by being approachable, trustworthy. In 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 through 4, I put this up there, but I'm just going to read it, see if you can follow. So I exhort the elders among you as fellow elders and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, you need to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Not below you, among you. In other words, shepherd the flock on an even plane. Exercising oversight. Not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have. Not for shameful financial gain, but eagerly. Not domineering those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. That is humble leadership. Leadership must approach this responsibility as a solemn duty, a sacrificial duty. Not as some achievement or some office to be garnered or earned. Leadership should be demonstrated by compassion and love, but also what Peter calls in that verse I just read, oversight. And let me tell you something, from personal experience, oversight takes some courage. Because in humility, 
leadership, those of us who are pastors and shepherds and elders, we must be willing to call out publicly things that are divisive, judgmental, arrogant, damaging, just like John did with Diotrephes. We don't do it out of arrogance. We don't take joy in it. Matter of fact, it's the part of the job I love the least. It's the hardest, most undesirable part of being a church leader. And it's frankly, to be honest, it's the easiest responsibility to shirk. Nah, I just won't deal with that. I'd rather talk to the people that like me. It's not easy. But listen, and she even get this, part of humble leadership is being willing to take the arrows that will come when you have to call something out. Because let me tell you why it's hard. Because I know if I have to call something out in someone, I know one of the things they're going to do first is see the plenty, multiple flaws that I myself have. So in reality, calling someone out is a very humble thing because you know they're going to point arrows at me and they're justified. But I've got to do it anyway. But then you have humble fellowship. All right, you ready? Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Think about that for a minute. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. My first pastor once told me, Joe, don't make it hard for me to love you. <laughs> See, Diotrephes' problem was not necessarily theological like it was in 1 John when he was dealing with the Gnostics. Diotrephes' problem was pride and arrogance. He took his difference with leadership to a level of anger, gossip, slander, and he even worked to undermine what they had devoted their life to. According to John, this behavior was a huge problem, a sign that Diotrephes may not have even been a believer. It would be like Diotrephes saying or somebody else saying, I should be in the position of pastor. I should be making those shepherding decisions. I am better suited. I know better. And once there, once you've convinced yourself of that, you can justify all kinds of unbiblical action that rectify what you see as being going wrong. And it's important that, now understand, the, I started off with the fact that there has to be humble leadership. Leaders need to earn that responsibility, need to earn that privilege of trust. So I want to make sure you hear that. That's important. That's why I started with that. But then I come to this humble fellowship. It's important for people not to make it hard to love them. Because what good is it if leaders have to shepherd and look out for your souls and they do it? Oh, here they come again. What's on their list this week? Now, that being said, there is something to be said for serving together. And I want to hear what I want you to hear this carefully. This is so important. So this was my. Uh, Social media campaign, self-righteous action is often mistaken for righteous passion. 
usually when conflict develops in the church, it's because one side or another believes, no, knows they are on the side of righteousness. And the other side is on the side of unrighteousness. Is it possible that our own agendas or passions could blind us? Is it possible that our own agendas and passions become obstacles to what God wants his church to be doing? Is it possible that it might produce actions that supersede our love for our brothers and sisters and we don't even recognize it? See, we can be fooled into thinking our actions are righteous when in fact they are detrimental to our church. Maybe we become like Diotrephes. Maybe we become impediments, <coughs> discouragement to people like Gaius. And that's a sure sign your agenda isn't God's. When he says this, whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. So before I get to this last thing, I want to say one more. We cannot allow our own desires or opinions to become a breeding ground for discord, destruction, and discouragement. If the church becomes a place where its members seek to get their way, I can promise you contention and discord are right around the corner. Every member of the church must have a mindset of serving one another, the leaders and the led. Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. He's writing this to everyone. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Both leaders and the led must strive to never let anything drive us to becoming like Diotrephes. Look, there are so many moving parts, though, in a church. So many different personalities and thoughts and ideas and agendas. It's always changing. It's so one week the church is not the same as the one next week. It really is pretty stunning. It's crucial that leadership knows you have our back and that you know we have yours. We have to be looking out for the interests of others and not our own. For Grace Life, this little church that we have, for it to thrive, we must be a church that positively works together, leaders and the led. That means a couple things. First, recognizing that God has given us some, given some of us the job of oversight. Remember, Peter talked about that in his verse. Take oversight. And it takes courage. God has given us, some of us, the responsibility of oversight to make sure that our fellowship continues to strive toward making Heavenly Dad smile. But it is not easy, that job of oversight. We need your help because we can't see everything. Matter of fact, we can see very little of everything that's going on in our church. Not only do we need to hear from you, we want to hear from you. We want to hear your heart. We want to hear your passion. We want to hear your ideas. We are not saying, don't come to us with your problems. We are saying, yes, come. Tell us. We want to help you. As leaders, we love you. 
We want everyone in our fellowship to grow and thrive in their connection to Heavenly Dad. But then you must, and hopefully we've earned it, once you come to us, you must trust that we have heard you. We have to make sure that you feel you've been heard. And that we are going to make the best possible decisions we can. And for that, I'm asking you, you have got to pray for us constantly. And know that as you come with things, there are at least a dozen others who are coming as well. <clears throat> for our little church to make Heavenly Dad smile and be effective in our community, there is no room for diatrophies in the leadership or the fellowship. And what John spells out here is an example of what happens when somebody has gone wrong and there's conflict between leaders and church members. So let me close with this thought. I hope you understand the heart of what I was saying here today. I'm not preaching at you. Boy, I have a lot of things against you people, and it's time to I let it out. <laughs> it's not like that at all. I love our church. I love almost all. No, I love all of you. And, and frankly, we haven't had that many issues. I mean, we've had issues, but we haven't had any issues like diatrophies. We really haven't. But it will come. You need to pray that we have the courage to point it out when it does. And also pray that we have wisdom to hear legitimate concerns, issues, ideas, passions that God may be giving to you for ministry. Let us hear them. We want to hear. And then we're going to ask you, please, trust to know that we want the best for you and our church. So allow us to make the choices we need to make. Pray that we have wisdom. Dad, I just want to thank you so much that you give such good people to our church. People that are serving, loving, caring. I'm thankful for those that you have raised up in our church, not just the pastor, but other leaders, shepherds, leaders of ministry, servers, disciplers, teachers, just amazing people. Lord, protect us from the example of the type of conflict we saw at the end of 3 John. We don't want that. We want to thrive. We want to love and care for one another. In Jesus' name, amen.